Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015 2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. It's the big interview, the new one. Guys come in the theatre. May 1996 was a pretty pivotal moment for me in my career. The first time I worked journalistically in the city of Barcelona, it was the under-21 championships, the semi-finals and final, four teams. And it turned out that good though they were, um, the Scotland of Tommy Craig as a manager, Christian Daly, Stevie Glass from Aberdeen, Jackie McNamara, we weren't quite good enough for France and Italy sides and Spain sides containing, the, the guys on show were unbelievable in that mini tournament in Montjuic's Olympic Stadium in Barcelona. For France, um, there were Vieira, Pires, Macaleli, first sight of any of those for me. Um, for Spain, there was Raul, a young Raul, 18-year-old, the youngest by a distance in his squad, even De La Peña, who stunned everybody with his quality that day. Also a young Fernando Morientes, others who went on to star for Spanish clubs. But maybe it was the eventual winners, Italy, who had seemingly the most star-studded squad. Gigi Buffon, Fabio Cannavaro, Francesco Totti, Panucci, Nesta. Think about that. All coached by Maldini's old man, looking like Iggy Pop even then. The guy who I find it as a total privilege and... When I blessed my luck as a broadcaster that I went on to work with was Guys Camendieta, who was playing for Spain in that tournament. Weirdly, wasn't allowed to take a penalty in the final where Italy went down to 10 men, then 9 men, but held on for... No, it's it's not one man went to mow. Went on to hold on for a, a draw, even with 9 men against Spain. The Spain of De La Peña, Raul, Mendieta, Oscar Garcia... And the Italians won on penalty. A lesson learned there and then um, for me and for Gaiska. The next time I saw Gaiska play in, in person was when I was, I don't know how I was shrewd enough to go to the 1999 Copa del Rey final. Newspaper budgets were bigger then, down in the Olympic Stadium in Sevilla. And Valencia played Atletico Madrid. And perhaps one of the things that was most strange about it was that the... Uh, Valencia manager Claudio Ranieri was about to switch sides immediately after the game and join Atleti. The big golden or buttermilk coloured moon that hung over the stadium as if it was going to eclipse the playing surface will live with me forever. It was a beautiful night, embellished by, I think, the greatest, technically the greatest goal 
I've ever been present to witness. Certainly better than Zidane's goal at Hamden. And it was scored by Geiskamendieta. When we put this podcast out, when you're listening to it, I'm going to make sure that it's easily available for you to watch on YouTube Geiska's goal against Atletico Madrid. Suffice to say, it's utter genius. Maybe the best goal ever scored. Yet nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about Maradona, talks about Zidane. Watch Geiska's goal in the 33rd minute against Atletico Madrid. And then marvel at the fact that in this podcast, he tells me that when he arrived at Valencia, where he is now, regarded as one of the all-time great players for that club, a guy who guided them to two consecutive Champions League final, who Madrid wanted to sign in Valencia, refused to let him go, who went for what was a world record fee at the time for a midfielder from Valencia to Lazio. Gaisca, who was twice voted the European midfielder of the year, when he arrived at Valencia... He thought he wasn't good enough. He was told he wasn't good enough. He told me in this podcast that he thought he lacked technical skills, technique. It's utterly unbelievable when you consider the player he became, a player who went on to become a remorseless, cold-eyed penalty taker, except that when he describes the art in this podcast with me, he kind of gets nervous for the first time in his life and wonders how the hell he did it. We go on to talk about his spell at Middlesbrough, which for him was mostly extraordinarily pleasant. And I spent time with a guy who I've loved getting to know because he is intelligent, generous, articulate, multilingual. And I still consider him to be one of the greatest footballers I've had the pleasure to witness in my career. A damn fine man, which is the reason we brought him to you on the big interview. Guys, to welcome to the big interview. And one of the Thank things you. I'll say immediately is the strange thing is that the previous guests didn't really know what I'm like, but you do because you've had to <laughs> I do. put up with me yeah. <laughs> on set in Sky, the occasional night out, and still you said yes. Most, most for good. I know you're most for good. Yeah. You, your love of football must be very strong yes. to put up with me <laughs> like again. <yours. laughs> it's, it's not just Sky and a love of music and a love of football that links us because as anybody who's ever listened to me by now is bored of hearing, mm-hmm. my first great foreign experience when I'd never left Britain in my life before mm. was in 1982 when I was determined to follow Scotland to the World Cup. From your point of view, I went to the wrong part of Spain because Scotland were in Andalusia yeah. with the USSR and New Zealand and Brazil. You're significantly uh, younger as well as more talented than me, but you were in one of the host cities. We haven't spoken about it. I'm curious, maybe you're going to say, I don't remember anything about it, but you were in your birth city, which was a host city, yeah. and it had. I think it had the first game of yeah. Naranjito. It did. And although my memories of those days in the World Cup wasn't as probably as for you because you were working, I was just a kid that watched it on TV. And I, I'd say this in the beginning, so maybe that helps people to understand. I wasn't a big fan of football. I love football, but I wasn't like, I wouldn't watch every single game on telly. My dad was a footballer, so obviously at home, the games were all, all the mm-hmm. time. And I love watching it. Remember, obviously, all the guys, Butragueño, Arconada, people that then, and afterwards, I got lucky to get to know. But yeah, I mean, obviously, watching it. Everyone in Spain watched, watched, watched that World Cup. You've taken me in a different direction. What, what did you do instead of football then? There's, there's a thing called fronton up there, but what, what was your <laughs> thing if it wasn't... No, I've always been sporty. Um, I started with football, but I, 
I watched them more for watching on TV. I used to get bored. Ah, the so you played. Of, yeah, I played. You played. I played, yeah. Um, the, the game that came to town, and I, I don't know how much notice people took of it, not television only, is I'm sure it's some memories. Yeah. England-France came to town, no? It was England-France. I think it was the... England, France, and the first yeah. game of the. I think oh, it ends three one. But you, you weren't aware of of an invasion of fans, or did you live in the city centre? No, not really. I know on those days we moved out from Bilbao, but obviously spend the, the the summer holidays over there. So we that's where we were there. But uh, I don't remember particularly like seeing the town busier than usual. Uh, like I say again, because I wasn't involved in the whole thing of. Wanted to go to the match in the mm. stadiums, going to watch the training with the, you know, the, all these the, the legends and the players that were involved in the, in the national teams. So I was doing my random things that every other kid would be on my bike or play with my friends football somewhere else. And then whenever the, the game was on, yeah, go home to watch it. But not like a football fan that we wanted to get all the autographs and pictures, all well, pictures in those days, almost yeah. <laughs> something more difficult. But no, no, it, it wasn't like a a proper football experience under the point of view of a, fo- a football fan. And your dad? What did what did he do with his football skill? He he retired in Castellón when he finished there. That's, that's where we one of the reasons we stay in, in that part of the, of Spain. And then he started different business. Well, he, he was coach for a long time, Castellón, and then the B team of the Castellón, and then different teams in the region. He was also my manager in Oropesa, which he, he helped me a lot. Through all my career, not just football, personally, you know, the experience he had and everything. I was very lucky. Who was the first one that really told you, taught you that you had proper talent? Or when did you realise that rather than just being able to play mm. and being athletic, that you could, because I've seen you up close, you can do things with a football. And now mm. I'm not joking. Mm. All throughout your career, yeah. you did exceptional things with the ball. When did that begin to dawn on you? Or, or did somebody tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, kid, you, you're quite good? I wasn't ever a technical player. I was, yeah, honestly, I was midfielder, holding midfielder, because my fitness was better than the most of the average players in those days. That was the reason why I, I went into athletics. I was, how you call it, uh, runner-up in Spain in thousand thousand uh, hurdle meters and second in the second in the nation. I nations. was in Spain, yeah, Spain. When I was thirteen, then I had the record for for the region in thousand meters to. 39 I, I was running for me wasn't a problem wasn't an issue as you might be surprised as you obviously that, that, that was something that I learned and and we'll probably come to that later but uh, no I was holding midfielder I used to get the ball give it to the guy that was next to me or the other guy I would never you know funny enough I used to take penalties knowing the same technique that I do now but no I, that, that became later and actually when I started in Castellón I was holding midfielder. I went to Valencia, started as a holding midfielder. It was when I arrived to Valencia, and I remember Roberto. I remember Roberto played Barca, uh, Spain so many times, uh, the World Cup as well, Valencia and, and Barca. Striker, right? No, the midfielder. Midfielder. Roberto Fernandez. Okay. And obviously afterwards, after a few years, and we're still friends, he always tell me, when we saw you arrive the first training session, we thought, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> Can't even stop the ball. No. Yeah. So that tells you I was, yeah, someone that he would run, that he would make it difficult. I would make it easier for my my teammates, but I wouldn't do anything spectacular or anything amazing. Well, what the so hell? I, 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 never, I never really thought, ooh, I'm good for this. 
or you know, you, I got talent for football. My dad always saw a potential in me because saw the the the, the fitness, the the physical, the intelligence in, in the sort of reading the game, how mm-hmm. to be in the right place, or, or you know, to get the balls and and not trying to make anything that I did. I knew I wasn't able capable of doing it. So with few advice that he always gave me and 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 the practice and practice and practice and practice. So that's going to be the key to come yeah. to link back to what I'm saying now because maybe we have an audience who know you possibly know you for Middlesbrough and mm. and Sky. Maybe we have an audience who saw you for Spain. Hopefully a lot of the people listening did see you for Valencia too mm. in the prime. But what is absolutely beyond argument are the things that I'm going to relate now which is that you were European Football of the Year, European Midfielder of the Year. Until Fernando Torres moved to Chelsea, you were Spain's most expensive footballer mm. ever. Mm. I'm going to talk about this later, not now, but you scored the greatest goal, in, the, the most technically stunning goal in the history of football. Mm. Forget Pelé, forget Messi, <laughs> forget Zidane. We'll come not to that in a minute. But you've just told me that Roberto said to you when you got to <laughs> you couldn't control the ball. Yeah. What the hell happened, man? I, what changed between that and the man who who was, you know, would have been listed in your peak for six, seven years mm. in the top five, six players in the world? It happened that as any other player or person or sportsman had a talent. My talent was obviously the fitness, but I had the talent of learning and I wasn't afraid to learn and I wanted to learn. When I got to Valencia my first my first season after Castellón, Gus Hiddink was the was the coach. So I used to get as the, the, the Dutch mentality, used to get all the young players before training, 8 a.m. on the pitch, and it was all about technique and passing and technique and crosses and, and shooting and and passing and passing and passing. I didn't mention this, but before, when I was at Castellón, when I was uh, living with my parents, my dad used to give me, like, skills to do, like zigzagging, so I used to go on my own against the wall, kicking the ball. Bless uh, <laughs> my, my brothers. My brothers, one as a goalkeeper, the other one would be the defender. So I used to... Any chance I got to to try to improve with the help of, in this case, family. And then when I arrived to Valencia in, in, with the practice and trainings, that luckily got hitting plan for all the young the young players. So we used to do this session, then the training with the team, then rest, and I think twice a week, a week uh, another technique thing. So it was, it was a learning process. It wasn't like I was gifted and born with that. But throughout football, and I can now speak from the countries I've lived or worked in, also from speaking to colleagues more widely around the world, the majority instinct in football would be if you don't have it when you're first seen, mm. then you're no good. Yeah. Goodbye, move on, turn a page, get the next guy. Yeah. Whereas you existed with your own mentality, right, but with your dad's mentality, with Hiddink's mentality, with your brother's help saying, whatever I am now, I can get better. I can get significantly yeah. better. And Hiddink was creating an atmosphere was it still Paterna? Was it yeah, yeah, Paterna, yeah. the training ground from Valencia saying, yeah, yeah. I know if we take these kids and we drill them over and over again, they can improve in every aspect. That's I think that stands out as a jewel of an idea, a brilliant mm-hmm. idea, is, and completely yeah. different from all the idiots who go, I've seen him, he's too small or he's too slow or he can't, he can't do, therefore, goodbye. In that mentality, we'd have lost you to professional football. Yeah, yeah. If, if any... Manager with with very short sight uh, mentality and stuff would say, "Well, this guy, you know, is not good enough. You know, we don't want him." Well, it would have happened in Castellón, if anything, before, because when when Roberto Gil and and the 
the guys that were for Arturo Tuzón, the president of Valencia back in the day, saw me play for Castellón. They obviously saw something to buy me and, and get me to Valencia. So it was in Castellón where, where someone had um, my, my coaches that he saw the potential. I don't think anyone could have said that I would have reached what I did as going from a, a team player, if you like, and physical to a technical player mm. as a reference. I don't think even myself could, 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 could show that comment. Well, it, with, without taking any credit away from you and those around you, that's part of the beauty of football, that oh, these stories yeah. can be just stunningly incredible mm. and, and you must never give up. And I guess you, I know how busy you are and you're about to jet off to Spain again to work. And it might be you haven't had time to listen to the previous podcast, but I'm lucky to, to have the trust of a guy I like. A guy, actually, I hadn't thought of this before now, who reminds me of you a little bit, mm-hmm. in that when I was young, I was watching Aberdeen, which is a team I really care about, as you know, and we signed a guy called Gordon Strachan. He's now the mm-hmm. Scotland coach, and we signed him from Dundee. He's about your dimensions. He was very similar in terms of ability. He could do things that, that made you want to buy the ticket, that made your team more likely to win but also he did things that made football beautiful mm. and like you it was about winning he yeah, wanted yeah. to win make his team better it wasn't for yes. show but he reminded me a lot and recently we sat with him in this interview and said skills shortage in Scotland and he said you know what I've done because he's now passionate about changing people's closed vision like you talked about whatever he is I, Gordon I'm sorry maybe he's 55 maybe he's younger maybe he's younger <laughs> But he goes into his garage to try and test his theory. He says to his wife, as he said, listen, take a stopwatch and tie me and bang on the door when half an hour is up. Clears everything out of the garage and just plays the ball off each wall to keep it going at the Scotland manager on his own to seeing how many touches he can get yeah. in half an hour. And he said it was about 1,000, 1,100. So his idea from that is to go back to the coaches who say, like to kids, 14, 15-year-old kids who are not practicing my point is the way you did repeat practice drill ball all the time try and they maybe play for a team they travel an hour and a half they touch the ball five times in the pitch they travel an hour and a half back and they never know that football can be beautiful that they can get better Mm -hmm. and they might be European midfielder of the year one day (laughs) but your story really hits with what Strachan said yeah that you were able to change your change your life because you were you became in my words Brilliantly technical player. Mm, yeah, well, I think if you look at any, even nowadays, Messi, Ronaldo, they were born with a gift, but that gift has to be polished, have to be perfected, have to be practiced, have to be. There's so many things. If you if you're not right in your head, if you're not focusing your game and mm. you're down to earth and, and knowing your your limitations, you you won't make it. There used to be guys that played with me when I was 16. Barca wanting them, Madrid wanting them because they were they were brilliant, and you you know. I used to watch them and like, you know, these guys are, are very good. I'm not at that level. None of them have made it. <laughs> Basically because mentally, and that's something that people, I don't think, never get to understand. The sacrifices you make when, when you're mm-hmm. at that age, when you mm-hmm. are probably from 13. De- detail them then. When you say they don't understand. No, they understand that, that Tell when me. all your friends go out and, and, and have a drink or go out for the weekend somewhere else in trouble, you, you, you don't. You, you either training. You either sleeping because you go a game next day. Uh, so many other things. I used to go because once you start to train with the first team, you train in the mornings and you go school in, at night. Mm. So your your days completely the other way around as your friends, and you get new friends. But if you focus on your game, which it doesn't show you you want to make it, but that's that's the way of doing it. So you 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 have to mature when all your friends still having fun. 
it was worth it in the end, and we'll come back to Valencia in a minute, but, uh, you know, typically I want to get me in the story again. <laughs> 1996, May, Monjuic. You've played for, I think, Spain under 18, under 20, but mm-hmm. I, I remember coming away from uh, my oldest daughter's christening to head to Barcelona to work for the first time. I'd been there for football and for fun before, but this was my first working assignment, and it was the European under 21 championships four teams got through to a semi-final final sort of knockout little mini tournament do you remember the four teams my accent's a clue to one of you them you probably is better than yours yeah R- one Romania. more language I got the t-shirt oh um, no way yeah I got, I got one I can't remember which, which pair it was but I, I got it I got it from, from Scotland it's a, it's Italy out. Spain and the other one that, that's one you tell let me. me say the words Vieira Macaleli oh France yeah, I thought Tony Varel yeah yeah Wow, it, Pires. Pires, when I say Pires. So let's go on with the. Let's start with Mendieta. Let's go on with some of the other names. Raúl, with us was Raúl de la Peña, Oscar García Vinet, yeah, um, uh, was Lardín. And for Italy, if I remember correctly, there was Caravaro, yeah, Totti, Totti del, Nesta, Pieri, Nesta. Buffon was on the bench. Yeah, absolutely one of the most incredible tournaments it's I've ever seen. <clears throat> We like to be lower profile. Yeah, it's right? a whole team. Some of those guys. No, what, what actually happened was Brian Brian O'Neill was playing playing very well, and Bayern Munich sent scouts to yeah. watch Brian Wasn't O'Neill. That Ferguson, I think, playing that team could it be. If if I remember correctly, there'd have been a Derek Stilly. I'm not convinced about Ian Ferguson, but you could be right. What sure. I do know is that with Tommy Craig as our manager, one of the things, one of the many things that. I found fascinating about that tournament. Scotland lose initially to your team. Yeah, to us. Yeah. De La Peña plays. Yeah, uh, that that night we we I mean the, the phrase has been used too often, but at that time the, the phrase to reuse was Maradona, mm. and, and we saw him. He was never as quick in the dribble, but his use of the ball, his at that stage his power. Mm. He made a goal, I think maybe for Oscar, but certainly he bent a free kick in for a header, and he ran the game, and it was a joy to yeah. watch. And De La Peña back then was unbelievable. Spain won very very easily indeed. But I wondered for a young Basque, your management team then was Clemente, mm-hmm. who'd won the title yeah. for Athletic. Yeah. And his number two was what we knew in Britain as the Butcher of Bilbao. He was. And Doni Goicochea. Yeah, correct. Who showed an enthusiasm for Maradona's leg at the camp now between Athletic and Barcelona. Yeah. As a young Basque, did you know about that incident? Yeah, of did, course. And, and what did you think about having him as your... Tell me about Goicochea. He he is a lovely guy. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. In terms is that, of is that fear? No, no. He's a, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Uh, like anything in life or football, um, Atleti Bilbao back in the days was all about character, all about physical, all about getting the ball in the flanks and get crosses. More or less like like in England or in yeah. Britain was was that sort of football. So he he was about that. So whenever I tried to mess up with him. <laughs> the power would come out <laughs> and that's how it come out he, he was about that probably obviously taken to the to extreme the, the way he did with Maradona and he always regretted it And uh, he did? yeah he did he that's did. a genuine question because yeah, yeah, he over here remember, he never meant it. there was no sky no. so when you saw Spanish football yeah. which we saw that tackle that, that, that yeah. moment so it had a big impact over here which is why it became the Butcher yeah, Bilbao yeah, yeah. because we hadn't seen much Spanish football but in Spain at the time when that happened what you were still a young man, yeah. But but what was the reaction? What was the feeling? Well, it was obviously when, wow, you know, uh, <laughs> no one could watch the replay. 
But um, for us, it was, was an honor because he, he's, he was a Spanish legend, international with Spain, Atleti Bilbao, one of the you know, great players we had. And, and it was an, like, look up at him as an admiration. We didn't think of who he was the guy that he brought the leg to Maradona. No. No, we never did. We had admiration for him, as, as well as for Clemente, which Clemente was player. Yeah. But he never made it as probably Goicoetia did. And we had huge respect for them. And I'm thinking now, I actually, there's an interview. There was a Spanish TV program on TV, and they've got Maradona. And they run Goicoetia. And Goicoetia was kind of saying, you know, it's difficult to say, I'm sorry sometimes, like openly, mm-hmm. and you've already said it. And you might not have to feel to say it because it's, it's a game. It's a football. Yeah, what happens yeah. on the pitch stays on the pitch. And he was trying to say it, but Maradona was quite funny with, with him. And he kind of said, okay, you know, whatever. He was offhand with him. He, he was like putting the hand. Diego Maradona wouldn't put it back on. So the guy was like, all right. It was an extraordinary time because if I remember correctly, um, there was a, I was about to use the word hatred, which is wrong. The rivalry between Athletic mm. and Barcelona and between Clemente and Cruyff had got out of hand in general. yeah. yeah. And when Maradona came back, I think at the end of that season, I think the cup final was Barcelona Athletic. Yeah, it was again the final. Yeah. And it ended up with them kicking, was the, kicking the back shit and, out of yeah, each other and yeah. punching and running. And that wasn't was nice. <laughs> no. If you can imagine, for people that don't really know Spanish football, there's a lot of politics involved in you know the Basque, the Catalans, the Barca, the power, the no power, the whoever represents whatever mm-hmm. in their own back town and, and stuff like Madrid and, and, and Valencia, Atlético Madrid and Madrid. Same same as in England, every team represents a social group of, of people, and, and, and that Barca Atlético Bilbao became more than a sport, and that's why that's what the reactions we saw in, 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 in every challenge on those days. You really kindly helped me out with my book about Spain and you once said that you'd never really felt big divisions between Basque and Madrileños when you came to the national team mm. and that it was more unified than we mm. might have expected. That group there in 96 was pretty unified and you, you went to the final because you beat Scotland and, and France were beaten by Italy and I learned a big lesson that day. Do you, do you remember the final? Do you, can you anticipate the things I'm going to ask you about? No. Most footballers view it differently. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, I anticipated yeah. that because you play it, you win it, yeah, you don't yeah. win it, you move on. You, you went on to achieve on. a thousand different things afterwards. <laughs> yeah, no. But I, I was I was knocked out that day because you grow up in Scotland, you don't go to Calcio, you hear about Catanaccio, you hear about the mm. Italian men- mentality. And then I saw it. I think they had one of their players sent off in about eight minutes. Yeah. So it's 11 against 10. Scotland have just been beaten by Spain. You have very, very yeah, good footballers. Was, yeah. Very good yeah. footballers. Caranca, centre-back. Well, yeah. Middlesbrough manager. Now, not only do they have a second man sent off, but they just... And, and the coach, of course, is Cesare Maldini. Mm-hmm. You know, an elegant libero sweeper who gave birth to one of the all-time great defenders. And he just... I don't know how, how he communicated it. Whether he raised one of those Iggy Pop eyebrows, because he does look <laughs> yeah. like Iggy. Yeah. and he's got a lust for life yeah. or whether he sent out a carrier pigeon but the shutters came down mm-hmm. Spain had all the ball you bombarded that goal it went through extra time and then it went to penalties penalties yeah who didn't take one? myself correct <laughs> what the hell? because as I said earlier although in Castellón I used to take penalties that was probably about the time after that I wasn't a player considered by managers to be one of or amongst the technical ones and you know like 
probably nowadays everything has become more more specialized, more more professionalized in terms of everyone. You know, they, they watch penalties or taking the ball. In those days, guys would take free kicks and penalties where normally the midfielders, the technical ones. So I wasn't on the list to take the penalties. So if anybody hasn't looked at your career, followed it the way I have, yeah. they might be wondering why I'm making a fuss about it. Mm-hmm. So Spain lose yeah. to Italy. That's the lesson I think I learn about the Italian mentality, mm. which in some ways, you know, it wasn't a great game because they, they closed up shot, but they had two men sent off. They went through extra time yeah. and they won, which we both know is the thing. Mm-hmm. The first big game of your next season is about match four and it's at the Bernabeu. Mm-hmm. And you score a penalty. Yeah. What do you do to impress... Who's the coach then? Would have been hitting. Still hitting. Yeah. What happens to make him say, we're at the Bernabeu, it's Valencia Madrid, the guy who wasn't trusted in May for Spain. I tell you, I tell you who's taking our penalty. This guy's come in the other. Yeah. Like I said earlier, it was a process of, of, of obviously practicing and becoming more confident. And I think more than myself getting more confident... It was making people realize, well, this guy is not all just about running. And, 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 and because I, that game I played as a right back, which I used to hate, played right back. It's the worst position ever. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was, like I said, it was. Did you have to I, say, boss, I want this? I, w- I want to be, not that day, but no, I want to be was, the penalty was, taker? Was more of the, the, the team, which he said, look, this guy is taking penalties that's amazing because you know in training you always stay longer and with the goalkeepers taking penalties free kicks that's always the joke so I think I earned the respect by my teammates through that I remember it was Mijatovic was the one that used to take them we had Shalenko the Russian guy yeah they, they were the guys that used to take penalties so came to that moment where I think Mijatovic missed one or two Shalenko yeah, wasn't there anymore so the guy said I remember Camarasa and Giner, which was the, 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 the more experienced players there, they said, you are the next one. We've seen you kicking the free kicks, we've seen you taking penalties, you're the next one. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I take the penalty at the Bernabeu Paco Bullo and, and, and the score. Can you remember it? Yeah. It was in the goal as you come out the tunnel on the right side, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I can remember, yeah. And Gonga was there as well, which was a, a good penalty taker as well. But the guys, which I think is what, what makes me happier and, and, and prouder that there was my teammates they elected they, you. yeah they, they, they kind of saying you know this is the guy normally the manager he says one two three you take the penalties but it, it was actually the guys trusting me to take it and that I think that for me it was was a huge huge uh, honour you're going to go on to continually score penalties at the Bernabeu yeah pretty regularly yeah Against Barcelona, against Arsenal, Manchester United, certainly, in, famously. We don't want to go on too much about San Siro, which is a disappointing night. Mm. But you feature there scoring a penalty before the fans were in the stadium and the teams were out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about 90 minutes before kickoff, yeah. you got it was that early. <laughs> you score your penalty in the shootout. I guess you score for Borough against Everton and Spurs in the two. I miss a sports one. Ah, then we come back to that. Yeah, but you'd accept my proposition that at one stage you were the world's best penalty taker. Mm. What was the mentality? What was your technique? What went through your head? A practice, learning process, and watching other players doing it. And I mentioned earlier, Oleg Salenko. He was the guy that I would take the penalties. It looked like it was a joke. It was just take a, a jog, a run, not not very fast and watching the goalkeeper obviously goalkeeper the longer you take without being very slow 
they get anxious. They need to because they they like to be quick, so they make a decision which side to go. So they don't have much time to think. But the guy was like running and then waiting. Pop the other side. I learned and and somehow it became my my way of taking them because before that I used to like most players do choose one side and go for that and then. The better you are, obviously, the, the more easy you could put it somewhere. Uh, so if I understand you correctly, you've got the Burnaby in this instance all around you. It's noisy, there's pressure, your heart's mm. thumping. But what you begin to choose to do is to run up, trusting that your technique will be good without looking at the ball, and you watch what card players call a tell. Yeah. You w- wait for a tell in yeah, the goalkeeper. Literally, you run just not even a second, maybe one second or so. At that moment when the goalkeeper moves, because... Goalkeepers always move. If if any watches or replace a goalkeeper, goalkeepers always have to move before, otherwise they won't make it. So wait and then kick it to the other side. Sometimes they will wait and by the time I get to the ball, they've not moved yet and then I'll go for one side. Sometimes, like uh, you mentioned the one in the, in the Champions League final, Khan, Oliver Khan, rather than going one side to save it, he took a couple of steps in front to may try to reduce the space. So by the time he comes out, I've kicked it. The, the time, by the time again he, he goes down and tries to save, it was too late. Put him more pace, so it was it was difficult. So you used his forward momentum to realise that he can't be diving left or right in the split second that he's moving forward, and if you hit it harder, it's more likely to go underneath his dive, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Is it, I know. Are, are you? Have you ever thought about the micro? No, I'm the micro. It <laughs> sounds so difficult. But the microprocessing that's yeah, going that, that's, on in your that's brain. The process. It is. It is. Is the run? Wait for the goalkeeper. Once the goalkeeper is there, and you buy the ball, about, just about to kick it. Is has he moved? Has he chosen one side? Has he coming up? Have I have to put more pace on the ball? More on the angle? More just putting on one side? So that took about eleven seconds to say, and you processed it in the Champions League final in that instance but again and again over your career mm. in maybe 11 millionths of a second all that information that, yeah. I, I'm raising it because if you if you're a confident man or woman who plays football you're always like yeah I'd like the penalty mm. but when you begin to think above the thing about being confident or brave or stupid enough to take it <laughs> what you don't <laughs> think about is everything that's involved and yeah. I really like the Basically, fact probably because of that I made you nervous 14 years later That's I just <laughs> love that thinking like, wow really all that <laughs> I'm not taking it ever no. <laughs> but when was the feeling the same when they all went in job done it was, thanks it was, yeah it was confident I knew because it worked. So when something is working and you uh, see yeah, it, in life, yeah, yeah. Like in life, yeah. You just take So it worked. I go to the penalty, boop, put the ball, get my run, goalkeeper will move. Actually, Molina was the goalkeeper, Jose Molina, the goalkeeper of Atletico Madrid, which won the, the double. Famously went on to be yeah, part the, of Super Depor as well. Yeah, exactly. And they played for Spain, left winger. Yeah, yeah, came yeah. on and played. <laughs> with Clemente. Only in Spain, yeah. only with Clemente. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was playing for Atletico Madrid. So the new the guy, we've played together at Valencia and, and the B team, we trained together for years. So when it came to take the penalty, it was like, this guy knows it, knows the stuff. So I remember... I missed the first one, I hit the post, and then we scored. Mm-hmm. And the second one, I took it again and I scored again. So it, it was all about confidence. Mm-hmm. Although I missed the first one, I, I knew I would score the second. It was, it was just the odd time that, that I could possibly miss, miss the penalty with that technique.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.